Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Good morning, and welcome to Genesis. We're so glad you could be with us here this morning. Today, I want to have a talk that's really specific on something that I believe is current and important in our culture. Just a couple of weeks ago, if you don't know, here in the city of Upland, uh, the city council ruled unanimously not to allow uh, marijuana dispensaries to do business in the city of Upland. And it was a big uh kind of community event there at the City Hall. A lot of people gave their reasons why they felt it should happen and those who felt it shouldn't happen. It was actually something you could watch or I was able to watch online. I knew some of the people that were there in the conversation and I thought we should have this conversation. When I sent an email out to our leadership saying I wanted to talk about drinking, about marijuana and pharmaceutical drugs, one of the people sent back and said, this is a subject that normally has been taboo for churches, but they felt that it was important overall that we should have this conversation. And so we're going to step into the tension that exists between abuse and abstinence and see what do we believe as followers of Jesus that can help us in this conversation. So I want to give you a little bit of a roadmap. We're going to talk about abuse and addiction. We're then going to talk about how to have a good time. Then we're going to talk about how to conquer a city. And lastly, we're going to talk about the secret of life, the secret to living. So that's right. If you stick around to the end, you're going to find out the secret of living. And I hope this will be something useful for all of us. I want to show you a picture I was recently at a conference that Mosaic put on out in L.A. And what you see here, the two people here on the left, it's Dan and Donna. Dan and Donna were missionaries to Indonesia for 15 years. And here on the right, um, 
there is two young ladies that are actually from Indonesia. They came all the way from Indonesia to this conference and just happened to sit by two people who were missionaries to Indonesia for 15 years. Now, what was great about this is when they started talking to them in their native tongue, which I believe is Bahasa, they started squealing with delight. I mean, they were just ecstatic that someone was talking to them in their native language. And I thought, how important is it to have someone who understands us, someone who can speak to us in a language that we can comprehend and so that we can have a conversation that is meaningful. And really, that's what I want to do. I want to have this conversation in a meaningful conversation so that we can engage the people around us on this topic. You know, it, it is clear throughout Scripture that there's a a problem with being drunk. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And you can find these types of verses throughout Scripture, talking about not being drunk and how it's going to cause ruin to your life. Throughout the book of Proverbs, this takes place. And so I want to acknowledge the abuse and the addiction that exists in drugs in general, as well as alcohol. A study has shown that there are 32 million Americans, nearly one in seven adults that have struggled with a serious alcohol problem for at least one year of their lives. Think about that. For at least one year of their lives, one out of seven Americans have struggled with a serious alcohol problem and sometimes, but it gets worse. If you look at the numbers across the people's entire lives, in that case, nearly one third have suffered an alcohol use disorder in some way or form. The disorder now is an inability to stop, whether extreme or occasional. That's what we mean when we talk about a disorder. It's that inability to stop where now the the drug or whatever it is, is controlling you. Now, 20% of people have sought treatment in one form or another for an alcohol problem. And there is a total of $224 billion each year, the result of accidents because of DUIs, medical bills for diseases caused by alcohol. And according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, this is something that is costly and continuous. Now, if we move from alcohol to the pharmaceutical drug abuse, prescription drug abuse refers to uh, using a drug without a prescription. So I'm not talking about those who are prescribed medication from their doctor and are taking that medication accordingly. We're talking about those who are taking prescription medicine without a prescription. And so every year, prescription painkillers cause more than 16,000 deaths and 475,000 emergency room visits. Numbers vary, but pharmaceutical drugs kill more than car accidents every year. Every day, about 50 Americans die from prescription painkiller overdoses. It's estimated that 52 million Americans use prescription drugs for non-medical reasons at least once in their lifetime with some using prescription drugs for recreational purposes. 
Deaths by overdose involving prescription painkillers has quadrupled since 1999. Antidepressant prescriptions rose more than 400% from 2005 to 2008. And meanwhile, the pharmaceutical industry brought in more than a trillion dollars last year, a number that grows every year. Marijuana use. Nine and a half percent Americans say they use marijuana. The statistics on marijuana are a little less available because it has not been legal and documented as regularly. Over 700,000 people were arrested in 2014 for marijuana possession. Went on their way and had a record and it probably affected many of their abilities to get student loans and other things because of that. 8% 8% are higher, or 8% higher risk to get lung cancer if you use marijuana. It's not as high as tobacco, but there is still an increase. And the use of marijuana can escalate psychological impairment if there is also an existing brain disorder. And so here are areas of prevalent drug use in our society and the abuse and the addictions and the problems and the financial connection to all those things, whether it's costing people money or it's supplying money to these companies. And so there's no denying that there's a problem, that there's abuse and there's something wrong with a lot of that's going on in this area of drug use. It's problematic. And Even as I uh, talk to some of you, and I know some of the stories, some of it's regarding your children, some of it's regarding a spouse, some of it's regarding yourself, where there is drug problems, there have been drug problems. We have a Celebrate Recovery group that is not just about drugs, but it includes that, definitely uh, uh, including um, alcohol and other drugs, methamphetamines, definitely could be marijuana, could be whatever it is. There, there is such a need that there are ministries that are addressed just for that because it's a prevalent problem in our society. But then why are there areas in Scripture where it talks about using wine? It's talked about using it in areas for worship in the temple. And I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And I'm going to count through a, a couple of scriptures, you see, because one of the things that is also there in scripture is we hear this idea of, okay, there's abuse, there's addiction, there's problematic things. But there's also this idea that, you know what, God created us to be able to enjoy life. And to be able to live fully. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, the backstory is Nehemiah has just established that they're going to rebuild the walls, rebuild the, the temple. And they found a copy of the law, the scriptures, and they uncovered it. And as they start reading it, the people are overwhelmed because they hadn't had the scriptures. They hadn't had God's voice in their life for so many years. And as they start hearing God's voice, they start seeing all the things that they have not been living up to. And so Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
I think that's kind of cool. It's holy day, so stop being sad. Because don't you think so many times holy... Hey, shh, hey, it's a holy moment right now. Hey, this is a holy day, so don't mourn or be weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat. I like that. And drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to your Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Eat and get some wine and rejoice. In Psalm 104, verses 14 to 15, it says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. And so here is this understanding that, you know what? I want you to celebrate. I want you to enjoy this time. Have some wine. Feel good. And you start thinking, wait, wait a second. I, I, this, there's so many abuses. There's so many problems. There, there's so much addiction to alcohol. How can we even talk about this? Because it's there. I'm not making this up. Don't get mad at me, okay? If you say, hey, don't talk. Hey, talk about the Bible's just reading it, okay? I'm just telling you what's here right now. Don't kill the messenger. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. We, we know the story in John chapter 2 where Jesus goes to the wedding feast and they run out of wine, which is a shame. This is a week-long celebration. To run out of wine before the celebration is over was a disgrace to the family. And so Jesus' mom, Mary, comes up to him and says, they're out of wine. You know, just hint, hint, just letting you know, just kind of like moms do every now and then. Just, just letting you know they're out of wine. She goes, woman, what does that have to do with me? But then, you know, he turns the water into wine, and he turns 120 to 160 gallons of water into wine, just to let you know the extent of wine that he made. 120 gallons. 100, that's the low estimate. 160 is the high, depending on how big the water pots are. Now, this wasn't for one night, okay? This is for the week, all right? This is, yeah, bam! We're going to slam everybody here. No, this is just for the week. But why is he doing this? Because this is a celebration. It marks his revealing that he is indeed stepping into this work that God has called him to do. He does it at a wedding, which is a time of celebration. He does it by turning water into wine, which is a symbol, as we've even read, to joy. This is something you're supposed to enjoy. And so there's this idea you can have a good time, that it's okay. Scripture tells us that laughter makes the heart merry. The idea of drinking is to be able to lighten up, loosen up, and to enjoy the time that you're having with your friends, with the people. It's not wrong. It's okay to have a good time. Some of you need to know that. Some of you might be just a little wound a little tight. I'm not going to tell you to go have a drink. I'm just going to read to you the Scriptures. Genesis 27, verse 28, May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. 
And so we see that it's something that's used to bring celebration. You see, you're supposed to have a good time. We, we also know that this is used in, in areas, all of these areas can be used in medical purposes. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 6, it says, It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. In other words, they're not to be making decisions while under the influence lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. If someone is dying, help them to be comfortable. Isn't that what we do with morphine? I was at the deathbed of someone who was dying and because deathbed and dying, kind of that's what they do, right? What am I doing in this deathbed? I'm not dying right now. You're in the deathbed. Anyway, just noticed I said that. And I was there at the side of this family, and as time went on, his ability to breathe became labored and more difficult, and it became painful, so they gave him morphine so that it wouldn't be so hard for him so that he would be able to let go because he wasn't going to be able to make it. And at that time that the Scriptures were reading, they didn't have morphine. They did have drink. It says, give him something strong to drink. He's perishing. Let him numb that pain. It's not wrong. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul writes to Timothy, no longer drink water only, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and frequent ailments. Now, this is interesting because frequent ailments and stomach, you don't usually drink wine if you've got a stomach ache. But if you're stressed and you're developing an ulcer because you're overseeing a church with thousands of people and they're stressing you out? See, Paul's saying, have some wine. You need to be able to relax. You need to be able to chill out. Now, I don't know what background you've come from because some of these things do not show up at church. Some of these conversations do not show up at some churches. I'm not trying to trouble us. I'm trying to help us have a dialogue and show that there are times in Scripture where they are encouraged to drink, even for medicinal purposes, even to help them. There are times they're encouraged for the sake of even just having a good time, that it wasn't wrong. Drunkenness is never tolerated. Being drunk and being stupid is not okay. And usually if you're drunk, you're stupid. Okay? I know that from experience. Seeing so many people. (laughs) I know what that's like. And the damage it causes. The first time I got drunk, I was 12 years old. I asked my brother what it was like to get drunk. He goes, come here poured a giant glass of wine. He goes, down it. I did. <sighs> down this huge glass of wine. I don't know, eight ounces or more. And then he poured another one. He goes, down it. I'm like, okay, downed it. He goes, all right, I'll see you later. And he left. <laughs> and I thought, okay, okay, I'm going to document this. Because that's what I, so I got a pencil and a paper. And I was gonna, I'm going to document how it feels to be drunk. And I started writing, and then who knows what happened after that. I was hugging the toilet, and that was my experience. 
Now, even in other areas, marijuana, they have found that marijuana can be used to treat glaucoma. The THC in marijuana can help control epileptic seizures. It can slow Alzheimer's. CBC chemical can help prevent cancer from spreading. I know two people, a part of our community, who use medical marijuana for for pain. I think there's more because I've gone out to eat with some of you and I'm like, what's up? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I just said that so you guys won't be looking for the two. Like, is that you? It it is something that you know is being uh, looked at into medical areas. And because it was illegal for so long, it has just begun to start to get the funding to help look at how it can be used in positive ways. Pharmaceutical drugs, we have penicillin, we have insulin, uh, vaccines for smallpox, for polio. Thank God for ibuprofen and there's morphine, morphine and aspirin. So all these things can have a positive use. They can actually make our lives better if used in the right condition. We've seen that there's abuse. We've seen that there's addictions, dependencies. But let's not take away that there is also something where it can actually help our lives to be better, to be able to enjoy life. There's a whole range of psychiatric medications that help people to combat depression, schizophrenia, other brain disorders that are necessary. I know people who have to have medication because if they don't, they wind up hitchhiking up north somewhere. This is a true story. Left his job, left his family, hitchhiked out, and they found him up by Big Sur. It's like, where'd dad go? Stop taking his pain meds or his psychiatric meds. Next thing he knows, he's a hippie again, and he's traveling up the coast. See, if he doesn't have that medication, his brain goes crazy. Thank God for these things. So how, how do we live in this? How do we get through this? Let's talk about how we conquer a city. Go to that slide of the city of Jerusalem. Bet you weren't expecting that, right? Okay. What does this have to do with marijuana? Yeah. Let's hope I can tie it in. At the time of Jerusalem, if a a Roman emperor or Pontius Pilate, someone official were to come into the city, what they would do is they would come into the gate. It was a Jaffa gate. It was over here by Herod's palace. So when Pontius Pilate would come into the city, he would come with the Roman troops before him on horses. It would be a show of power, and they would work all their way up to the fortress of Antony up there. So they would have a show of force. It would be a parade of power. Here we come. Just want you to know, you're under my thumb. Okay, they're just like, we got you. We own this place. This is a sign of power. Just to let you know who we are. Just to let you know who you are. We own you. Parade of power. Here they would come with all this pomp, all the circumstances. They have this understanding. This is the law. We are the law. Jesus came in the Golden Gate here by the temple, made his way down to the upper room, but his procession wasn't with a large army in front of him. He didn't come on a white steed stallion. He came on a donkey. 
humbly. And they would put palm leaves, which is a sign of, of peace. And they would sing Hosanna, which means salvation is here, save now. And so we see these two contrasts of how to conquer a city. One is going to be with authority and power to dominate your enemy, to put them under your feet. And the other comes as a servant there to actually give yourself for them so that their lives can be restored and salvation could be brought. Which one was successful? Which one had the longest impact? Which one produced the most benefit for the people? The one with power and force or the one of humble submission? And you see, I I think this is a sign of more than just how we confront this issue of narcotics, of drugs, alcohol. I I think this is a, a setting for how we deal with life. You got a problem in your marriage. How do you deal with it? This is how it is. Or do you come humbly and, and esteem others as more important than yourself? See, I, I think this mindset is something that it, it dominates more than just this talk, but it also includes how we have this talk. You see, we had prohibition in the 1920s, 1920 to 1933. It was started by a Protestant group that wanted to stop alcohol because no doubt they saw all the evils of alcohol that we even talked about. They saw that, man, this is bad. People are getting drunk. This is what's happening. And so what are we going to do? We're going to make laws and stop this from happening. One of the groups that was a part of this was the Women's Christian Temperance Union. I don't know. That, just that found that curious. All the wives of all these drunk guys said, we got to stop this. And then to enforce it, you know who was a part of the enforcement team? The Ku Klux Klan. Did prohibition work? No. It was a disaster. We had crime organize itself and start making all kinds of money. We saw so many people just in jail because of this that otherwise probably wouldn't have been. It it took so much money of the government and it didn't succeed. I wonder how many things are done in this way. We're going to assert ourselves. We're going to come in the Western gate. We're going we're to enforce these things. And it doesn't work. Because what we're seeing here is you, you can't stop the behavior of people. What you have to do is change the heart of people. And what Jesus comes in the Eastern gate, he doesn't come to lord over us and to, to rule over us with these kinds of enforcement. He comes over to change us and to win us, to bring us to himself. And you see, the way you conquer a city isn't through the Western gate, it's through the Eastern gate. The way you conquer humanity isn't going to be by force, it's going to be in the attitude that Jesus has, the way you conquer this problem of abuse and addiction in our society isn't going to be by enforcement. It is going to be by winning the hearts of the people 
who are struggling. You see, because the reason that person is shooting up and using heroin is because they are dying and they are hurting. The reason that person is an alcoholic is because they are trying to escape from something. The reason the person is abusing whatever it is that they're abusing, that's what we need to get to. We don't deal with the symptoms. We don't put a Band-Aid on a broken arm and say, okay, you're better. We have to deal with what's going on, and that's what the Eastern Gate is. Jesus coming in saying, I am the Savior of the world. I am going to give my life a ransom for many. I'm going to win humanity back. I am going to pay the debt that you can't pay. I am going to bring freedom to you that you long for, but you're trying to find it in all these other things. You will be able to find it in me. And that's the road we want to take. That's how we are going to enter into this conversation and every conversation. It's going to be through the Eastern Gate. See, that's how you conquer a city. And the secret of life, the secret of living a healthy life is all throughout Scripture. It started in the garden where God said, look, see every tree, they're all good. Just not that one. Not just two trees. There are a thousand good trees. There's one bad. You've got a thousand good choices. The one that's bad is the one that turns your heart from me. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, the Lord says, See, I set before you today life and good, death and evil. Down in verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. It means nature itself is going to testify to this truth, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. You see, the secret of life is the choices we make. That's what brings life. The choice you make to not drink that second drink, to not take that drug, to not go down that path, that is what gives you life. The choice you make to say when it's enough. And you can fill this in with more than just this area of drink and drugs And pharmaceuticals, this has to do with every area of life. It's the choice you make. So that Paul would tell the Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me. Let me just say that again, because this is important. All things are lawful for me. means I can do anything that I want to do. But not all things are helpful. Helpful for what? For you. Helpful for your relationship with God. Helpful for your relationship with the people around you. 
helpful for who you are and who God has created to be. You see, you can do anything you want. What do you want to do is where God wants to meet you because if he gets your heart, he has you. And he's coming through the eastern gate and he says, I will give my life for you because I know it's best for you and I will give you the freedom like you had in the garden. You can make any choice and there are a thousand good choices. But there's also a bad choice. Not everything you choose is going to be helpful to you. Not everything you choose is going to help your relationship with your wife or with your children. Not everything you choose is going to make you a better human being. Not everything you choose is going to bring you closer to me. And I am the one who has life. Choose life and live. And in this area and in this question... It's not about, is this right and is this wrong? It is what is going to make you better and closer to the God who gives you life. What is going to bring you into this relationship? You can do anything you want. You have the freedom. The question is, what do you want more than anything else? What is going to help you to get what you really want because what you do is what you want and let's be honest here a lot of us want things other than god we just do i would rather cover my pain with the excess of whatever the drug is or whatever the narcotic might be i would rather binge on chocolate because that will bring me comfort. Chocolate brings comfort, doesn't it? Makes you smile. Some of you are smiling right now just thinking about chocolate. There's nothing wrong with chocolate. But you see, if chocolate becomes your drug to get past your pain instead of God, then there's a problem. If eating becomes your disorder, because that's what you go to to find comfort, Instead of God, then there's a problem. If pornography is your comfort, and that's where you go to instead of God to solve your problems, then that's a problem. If it's the marijuana or the alcohol or whatever else it is that you go to instead of God to bring you the life that you're really looking for, then that's the problem. And the secret of life is making the choices that lead you closer to God. The question is, do you really want to get closer to God? Or do you like those things so much you don't want to let them go you can do them you're free to do anything you see your salvation doesn't depend on all the things that you don't do or do but your relationship with god does how close you are to god does depend on the choices you make and so In this conversation, it's not about how we can stop people from doing these things. We're not going to build a fence. Say, this is the fence. We're going to make a new prohibition in the church. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't drink. You can't use marijuana. You can't take drugs for depression or whatever. We're not going to list those things because sometimes those things are helpful in the right circumstances, in the right occasion. Some people need to take pharmaceutical drugs because their life will unravel if they don't. But what we are going to do 
instead of building a fence, is we're going to make a river where the river is fresh with the water of God and the life that comes from God. And we're going to say, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. Because I have a feeling that if I drink of this river, I will need less and less. I still might have medical conditions. If you're a diabetic, please, please, please take your insulin. If you suffer from something and your doctor tells you something, go to your doctor, listen to your doctor. But if you're trying to meet the empty things in your life with something else and you've become dependent on that, I want you to know that Jesus has come in the eastern gate and he's got a well of living water that you can draw from that will satisfy your soul. And you see, if we offer living water to people instead of telling them, stop doing that, they'll stop doing that because what they really want is the living water. They just think that it comes in a bottle. They just think it comes in a pill. They just think it comes in a different way. I need something to give me life. And they're desperately finding something. But if we're not filling our lives with that water, how can we give it to someone else? And if we start condemning people and coming in the Western Gate and we're going to force you to stop, it's not going to work. The secret is the choice, and it comes in the eastern gate. That's the language that we are going to have to win the hearts of people who are desperately trying to fill the need in so many ways. Let's pray. Father, I do ask, Lord, that you would give us not only wisdom, but character. And Father, I pray for the people who are here. And maybe, Lord, what needs to happen right now is, is there's a soul searching and, and there is a, an awakening to, to the fact that, you know what, I have been medicating myself unnecessarily. I, I've been doing this and it's become a problem. There, there's a conviction. It's not a matter of how much or how frequently. It's a matter of just that it's there and it's causing tension in my relationship with you. And maybe right now the Spirit of God is just ministering to you. It's like you, you need to stop. And the Spirit is coming in that eastern gate and, and with humility, giving you the freedom to make the choice. But you know that the right choice is to stop that behavior. Then hear, listen, and choose to listen. Choose the tree that he is telling you to eat from and, and stop going to the one that's poisoning your soul. And Maybe you're here and you've been just really hard, maybe even on your children. You've been coming in that western gate and you've been just telling them and laying down the law and saying, this is how it is. And maybe now what God is wanting to do is just say, try the eastern gate. Try coming in instead of on the horse and with an army in the humility like Christ. And instead of trying to stop them, maybe you can offer them the water that comes from Christ by your conduct and your character. God, what we want more than anything, what our desire is, is to have a living, dynamic relationship with you. God, all things, 
are lawful for us. We can do anything. May what we want to do be the things that bring us closer to you. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be available if you have questions on any of these things. I don't want to just leave you with questions. If you're concerned about something, I'm here to talk about it with you. Okay? If you're saying, are you saying this? I'll be happy to tell you. Probably no, I'm not. But I'll be happy to have that conversation with you. I don't talk about this subject without having bled my own blood in this area. I'm not telling you something that I don't know the pain of. I'm not sharing it with you flippantly. It's something that I have wrestled through and wrestled through with people. But what I want is to win the hearts for God. That's what we want. But I'd be happy to talk to you if you have any questions. Let's stand together. May you leave here this morning and know that you are free to do anything. And that you are as close to God as you want to be. That there is nothing stopping you from getting closer except the choices you make. Make the choices that will draw you to his heart. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.